We are thankful for all of you being in the house of the Lord, and I <clears throat> talked Sunday somewhat about Christmas and the beginning of looking at um, <clears throat> the sense of what Calvary, what, and, and I, we, we talk about it at Christmas time when in reality, <clears throat> really probably what happened, the greatest uh, gift of all of this was really at the death, burial, and resurrection. We talk about it at Christmas because that's when Jesus was born and we use this time to give presents and everybody likes a present. And um, yeah, pretty much we give them to people that we know are gonna give back. I mean, we don't typically you know, go up and down the street just knocking on doors and handing out gifts. Uh, and not that there's anything wrong with that, but typically we kind of, you know, and it's, it's embarrassing if somebody got you something and it's more expensive than what you got them. And then you think, oh man, I don't like all of that. And it's such a hassle and you pray, oh Lord, just let them send me a card this year so that we don't. And if you're like us, we have done that probably uh, <clears throat> Um, I grew up a little bit mistreated. My father did not want a fat man in a red suit to get credit for what he worked for. So I would go see Santa Claus, but I never thought he brought me anything because all the presents, none of them said from Santa Claus. It was always from either mom and dad or whatever all of my life. So um, that's why I'm a little off kilter today. And uh, so you have to understand. Uh, was he oh, he was paying attention, sorry. <laughs> okay, uh, anyway, but, um, <clears throat> You know, the, the point is uh, a present, getting a present and having a present. And we know that, of course, Jesus is the greatest gift. And yet, when, we, when you think about it, it, it's not just that he was born in a manger. And, not, and we know probably, as I mentioned Sunday, it wasn't on December the 25th. And it, it, it no doubt was in the spring. And I get all of that. And yet, because uh, the world celebrates as a holiday Christmas, and we know that, you know, now it's also during times of Hanukkah and Kwanzaa and Ramadan or whatever else. And so people say things like happy holidays instead of Merry Christmas. And uh, because, or they'll have Xmas, you know, take the Christ out of Christmas. I, I, I understand all that, and yet I guess uh, I, I, you know, probably um, get up people's nose because I will say Merry Christmas, or I'll say Happy Thanksgiving. Of course, Thanksgiving is not as big of a deal as Christmas, and yet you know they'll usually respond. 
happy holidays. And I, but that doesn't offend me. I understand they've got to be politically correct. And at times I probably, you know, I don't want to be offensive either. I may try to be politically correct and say, you know, if they have a yarmulke on and a prayer shawl, I probably wouldn't say Merry Christmas. I would probably uh, say Happy Hanukkah to them, uh, just to not be offensive. But um, I don't mind saying Merry Christmas. I don't, I don't feel bad about some of that because Christ coming is God robed himself in flesh is an amazing sense of the, um, you know, is the, uh, the greatest gift that we could have because Calvary stopped the wrath of God. And so that's the key. When you think of, yes, Christmas, we, and I mentioned a lot of things Sunday about Christmas, and we'll try to maybe mention some more. But when you think of the greatest gift that was that the Lord came. Now, Matthew, the 20th chapter, and there's 16 verses, and I'm not gonna read them all, um, but it's a familiar story. It's red letter. If you go to it in the red letter edition of the King James Version, these are the words of Jesus. And he starts it by saying, the kingdom of heaven is likened to a man that is a householder who went out early in the morning to hire laborers into his vineyard. And he agreed on a denarius. That's what verse two says for the day, which means a denarius was a day's wage. So for us, if a man went out and said to someone, would you work in my field uh, 12 hours and I'll pay you 10, I'll pay you 120 bucks and uh, 10 bucks an hour, that'd be decent money. That's above minimum wage. Whatever minimum wage would be, <coughs> would be what he hired them for, a denarius. And then uh, he starts that at six o'clock, they go out and they start working. At nine o'clock, he realizes he needs more help. And you can read on, on that in this parable. And at nine o'clock or the third hour, he saw some people idle. And so he says unto them, go to the vineyard and I will give to you. And then at noon, he goes again and he says, uh, then go. And then at three o'clock, he says again, there are some that are there. And he says, hey, come, let's go to the vineyard and you will receive it. And so probably evening would be about six o'clock in the evening. Verse eight says the owner of the vineyard said to his stewards, call the laborers and give them their wages, beginning with the last under the first. Now why that's important is because here we all are and I worked uh, maybe just three hours and uh, maybe my dad worked six hours, some worked nine hours, some worked 12 hours. So we're all standing in a line. And when I walk up and he says, okay, here are your wages. He, I only worked three hours. He peels off 120 bucks. Wow, 
feel? Awesome. That's amazing. I made 40 bucks an hour. Hallelujah. Okay? Then, of course, unfortunately, when it comes time to my dad, he gets 120. The guys that work nine, they get 120. The guys that worked all day, they get 120. And what is the attitude of those that worked all day? They get a little bit complaining. If you jump down to verse 11, they complained. They murmured against the good man of the house. And they said, these last men, verse 12, have worked only one hour and you made them equal to us who have borne the burden and the heat of the day. And verse 13, he says unto them, I did, friend, I do thee no wrong. Didn't you agree for 120 bucks? Sure. Didn't you agree for that? Yes. And says, take what is yours, go your way, and I will give unto the last, even as unto thee. Now, the next verse says, is it not lawful for me to do, notice that, now that's an important verse. Is it not lawful for me to do what I will with my own? The owner of the house said, I can do what I want with my money. Is thine eye evil because I am good? So the last shall be first and the first last for many be called, but few be chosen. Now, what does he mean by that? The last shall be first. Those guys that only worked an hour feel a whole lot better than those guys that worked all day. Right? They go home, woo, man, honey, you won't believe what happened. Those that work three hours are going, yeah, man. Those that work six hours, uh, those that worked all day, I can't believe. That guy. But let me explain something to you. All these people were very poor because according to Deuteronomy, the 24th chapter, <coughs> Deuteronomy chapter 24, verse 14, says, thou shalt not oppress a hired servant that is poor and needy, whether he be of thy brethren or of the stranger that is in the land within thy gates. At his day, thou shalt give him his hire. So the fact that this man was paying them on a daily basis and that these people were standing in the marketplace looking for work lets you know they were not gainfully employed on a farm. They didn't have another job to go to. It so happened that they came looking for work and the man hired them. And he said, when you hire somebody like that, when the sun goes down, 
because he is poor and he sets his heart on it, give him his wages. And this thing, it was a denarius or a penny. Or it will be sent unto you. So when Jesus was telling this story, these individuals that were hearing him understood that here were a bunch of poor folks that were getting hired and should have been thankful that they had something to take home to eat on. But when they saw what somebody else got, it sort of made them feel like what they had to do was a little unfair. I know this doesn't apply to us, but when you think about the gift of God, that the master has the ability to give to whomever. I know, I've had people say, well, I don't understand. I was raised in the church and when I was young, we had to do this and had to do that. We couldn't do this and couldn't do that. Now, you know, God just fills anybody. None of us have said that. You know, you look around and you begin to feel like, how come? Well, you have to recognize that it's not just in the New Testament. We talk about living under the grace and we'll talk some about that. But God has always been very gracious. He's been very gracious to his people. He's been very gracious to us. And who am I? Who am I to feel like, well, Lord, somehow I've got cheated. Lord, I had to do, you know, you can't have that. He is the greatest gift that I've ever received. You look in Jeremiah. <laughs> Jeremiah, the entire book is a prophecy telling the children of Israel how bad they are and what all they've done that's bad. Judgments, their wickedness, they've forsaken me. They you read verse after verse after verse. And yet in, when he gets toward the end of the book, the Lord tries to tell him, he said, I had plans for you. I am not going to leave you but 70 years in Babylon. Even though you've been wicked, even though you've burned incense to other gods, even though you've done all these things and you have been evil and all this kind of stuff, he goes on the next verse. He said, you have to, I know the thoughts that I think toward you. Thoughts of peace, not of evil, to give you an expected end. And then you shall call on me and you shall go and pray unto me and I will listen to you. I will hearken unto you and you shall seek me and find me when you search for me with all of your heart. And so when you stop and think that even as you keep reading 32nd chapter, verse 30, he tells them again how evil they've done. The children of Israel and the children of Judah have only done evil before me from their youth. The children of, evil have, of Israel have provoked me to anger with the work of their hands. Same chapter on down to verse 32. He said, because of all the evil of the children of Israel and the children of Judah, when they did provoke me to anger, and they, they and their kings and their princes and their priests and their prophets and the men of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and all they have turned unto me the back. In other words, 
They, they literally rejected God, turned their back on God. They wouldn't even, even try to live for God. Though I taught them, rising up early and teaching them, they have not returned unto me to receive instructions. Listen to how bad they were. Verse 37. Keep reading. You can read all the verses. And he says, I will gather them out of all countries where I have driven them in my anger and in my fury and in my great wrath. And I will bring them again into this place and will cause them to dwell safely. And they shall be my people and I will be their God. And I will give them one heart, singleness of heart, and one way that they may fear me forever and for the good of them and of their children after them. In other words, what he said there, when he said for the good of them, and we'll read the 40th verse, he said, the reason I want them to serve me is that I'm doing it for their good. The Lord doesn't, he didn't try to correct Israel send prophets, send them into Babylon because he was trying to be mean. He said, I was doing it for their good. And he said, I will make an everlasting covenant with them, will not turn away from them to do them good. I will put my fear in their hearts and they shall not depart from me. What are you saying? I'm saying the grace and mercy of God is so amazing. We sing amazing grace all through even the Old Testament. When somebody says, well, the law, you know, I'm glad I'm not under the law. Even under the law, the Lord was merciful. He could have said, I'm going to wipe you out. <clears throat> but he didn't. Joel says another book of prophecy. You can read where he opens up in the first chapter and he talks about all the things that they've done wrong. The second chapter, first couple of verses, blow the trumpet in Zion, sound the alarm, let all the inhabitants of the land tremble for the day of the Lord comes and he's nigh unto hand. A day of darkness and gloominess, a day of clouds and thick darkness. You go, oh, I'm going through it. I've done wrong. I want to tell you, in the midst of all that, God still is gracious. The gift of Calvary, the gift of Him coming on Christmas. In the same chapter, we know what Joel prophesied. I will restore to you the year. Can you imagine? Can you imagine? The Lord says, you know what? All right, I'll correct you. I'll punish you, but I'll try to get you going right. But guess what? I'm going to restore all the things you know he said I'm going to send the canker worm and the palmer worm I'm going to send the locust to eat your crops up now can you imagine if somebody said okay you know this is I'm going to punish you your boss said alright I'm going to dock you five dollars then he tells you but guess what I'll give it back to you by the end of the day. <laughs> wow. Imagine. That feel like a real hard punishment? The Lord is saying, I will restore to you that the locust has eaten, the canker worm, the caterpillar, the palmer worm, my great army, which I send among you. 
and ye shall eat in plenty and be satisfied and praise the name of the Lord your God that had dwelt wondrously with you and my people shall never be ashamed and ye shall know that I am in the midst of Israel and that I am the Lord your God and none else and my people shall never be ashamed and it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. These are the very words that Simon Peter quoted on the day of Pentecost. And your sons and daughters shall prophesy and your old men shall dream dreams and your young men shall see visions and also upon my servants and handmaidens in those days will I pour out my spirit. What are you saying? I'm saying whenever people, you know, try to turn you to the Old Testament and say, oh, how terrible, hard God was, how mean God was. Listen, he, he was merciful. He was gracious even to the children of Israel. How much more since Christ can we say God loves us and is gracious and is good to us and it's the greatest gift that's ever happened. Even his own children, and we know going back to Israel. And in fact, when Jesus, you know, Jesus almost got thrown head first over a cliff. He made the Jews so mad at him. Remember that, Luke? Fourth chapter? Because he tells them this. Jesus said, I tell you, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elias or Elijah when the heavens were shut for three years and six months when that great famine was throughout the land. But unto none of them was Elijah sent, save unto Zarephath, a city of Sidon. Now, remember Tyre and Sidon, a Gentile city. Elijah was sent to a Gentile city and unto a woman there that was a widow, a Gentile woman. And he goes on, he says, there were many lepers in Israel in the time of Elias the prophet and none of them was cleansed. Elisha, he said, you have Elijah and Elisha, he uses those two examples and he said, none of them was cleansed, saving Naaman who was a Gentile Syrian. And what happened? They got mad at Jesus. I'm sure I've made people mad before, but look at what happened. They got filled with wrath. Go on, the next verse. And they got up grabbed him, carried him out of the city, led him to the top of a hill where the city was built, and they were going to throw him down head first. Why? Because he told them, hey, even in the Old Testament, God was merciful to Gentiles when there were Jewish widows and there were Jewish lepers. And God can be merciful to whom he wants to be merciful to. He can get his gift is for to whomever he chooses. And well, I wouldn't have chosen them. And I don't understand why God would choose them. And I don't understand why God. 
You know what? Ours is not to understand. Ours is to say, I'm thankful the Lord called me. Well, that makes me better than that. It doesn't make me better than anybody else. God was merciful to me. The moment I begin to think, well, you know, I'm second, fourth, eighth generation, 20th generation. I know all about this. I deserve. I don't deserve anything. I'm thankful I, my parents raised me in church. I'm thankful I had grandparents in church. I am thankful that you, you understand. I, I am thankful there are, I have received a lot of blessings because of their discipline and because of their walk with God and because through the life that they live. But I want to tell you something. That does not produce in me. I have to be thankful, Lord. I need that mercy and that grace for me personally. It doesn't matter whether they had it or not. Yes, it, it, their, their willingness, I, I, I can go through and tell you, I've not ever seen my dad drunk. I've not ever seen him behind bars. I've not ever seen him high, strung out. I've not seen my mom and dad in divorce court. I, I, I can go through and I, I can give you all the reasons why I am so blessed. But I want to tell you, still and all, I have to take that gift for myself and say, Lord, you've been good to me. You chose me. How privileged I feel. Romans 8 chapter, the 32nd verse. Paul said, he spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all. How shall he not with him also freely give us all things? What are you saying? I am saying the greatest gift, the fact that he, Jesus, went to Calvary. God is on my side. God is for me. God What's good for me? You say, well, it doesn't feel like good. And I know I can, I can mess up. I can do things, get myself off track. But you know what? The grace of God, the mercy of God is unreprovable. Let me show you. Colossians, the first chapter. Here's what he wrote. He said, for please God, that the fa please the Father that in him should all fullness dwell and having made peace through the blood of his cross by him to reconcile all things unto himself. That is, I say, whether they be things in heaven or earth or things in heaven unto you who were sometimes alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, and yet how hath he reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight. I'm going to tell you, those three words right there, when you read them, you ought to shout every time because of Calvary. I can be holy and unblameable and unreprovable. What does that mean? I, it is not my holiness, his holiness. It is, it is his holiness. I am not blameable. What are you, you I, I can blame myself. The Bible says the devil is the accuser of the brethren. He will blame you all the time. But when 
you read this, you say, let me tell you, because of Calvary, because of Jesus coming, I am holy, unblameable, and unreprovable. Unreprovable means there's nothing held to my account. I don't have a debt. I go into him and there is nothing that's on the books that says, look, but you did this wrong and you did that wrong because of Calvary, because of Christmas. What a privilege that is. Oh, that's the greatest gift. Can you imagine? I, I, I mean, holy, unblameable, unreprovable. When the, the devil who is accuser of their brethren will say, yeah, but you did this, you did that. And he wants you to hang your head and he wants you to feel bad. And he wants you to feel like, I don't deserve it. But you gotta remember, I, if it's just that I came and worked an hour, if I just, if the Lord just got me in this last hour, oh, he's got eternal life for me. What a privilege. I ought to feel that's why many that are last will be first. Whenever, when you realize as Paul did, I am the chiefest of sinners. You know what? If it weren't for the grace of God, if it weren't for the mercy of God, and so I fall in love with him over and over and over again. I'm not talking about sloppy grace. We'll We'll talk about that later. I know, you know, Paul write, wrote about it. He wrote about it in Romans, the fifth chapter. He talks about the grace. And then he said, what should we send? No, heaven forbid, God forbid. And they all through Romans, the sixth. But you know what? It's got to be done with the right motive. I'm doing it because I love the Lord. Because he's done so much for me. How could I not love him? How can I not? Romans the ninth chapter 20th verse says nay O man who art thou that thou should reply unto God shall the thing form say so say to him that formed it why hast thou made me thus hath not the potter power over the clay the whole lump to make one vessel unto honor and another unto dishonor well I don't know why God didn't put me in your family. Why God didn't give me this. Why God didn't give me that. Why God didn't make me better looking, smarter, whatever. I don't know why God, I, I was raised in a family with, I, I don't know why God had me that. Let me tell you what, it doesn't matter. He loved you enough to seek you out and you can be here. Oh, how good he is. When you start looking around and going, well, I don't understand. You were raised, you have four generations. Yes, I'm blessed, but let me tell you, I still had to get it from me personally. I can't depend on well, what my dad has or my mom or my grandparents. First Peter, the fifth chapter. This is Simon Peter, you know, the guy that was always messing up. He said he called him the God of all grace. What's he trying to do? He's trying to make me perfect, establish me, strengthen me, settle me. What a privilege that we know the God of all grace. St. John, the first chapter we know begins, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the world, and the world was made by Him, and the world knew Him not. Verse 14, and the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory as the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. 
John bare witness of him, cried, saying, This it was he of whom I spake. He that cometh after me is preferred before me, for he was before me. And of his fullness have all we received, and grace for Some of you have all these stickers on the back of your car. You like to go to Hilton Head or all these ocean things. Anybody here ever been to the ocean? This verse evokes the ocean. When you read this verse, this is grace or grace. One wave followed by another way, by another way, by another way. It doesn't matter if you go out there at six in the morning, it's waves coming in. If you go out there at six in the afternoon, one way followed by another way. If it's midnight, one wave followed by another way. What are you saying? I don't care where you are in life, what's going on, you can come and back because of Calvary, because of Christmas, you have grace unto grace. You can get up every morning and feel the grace and love and mercy of God. Oh, but you say, you know what? Until I walk out and let those waves hit me, Huh? This looks like a scene. But when you go down and you experience wave after wave after wave after wave, say, well, I don't get it. When's it going to stop? It never stops. Oh, how privileged. What a great gift we have. Oh, and when you realize all the temptations, when you start, whether it's in Genesis, we don't have to read it, but basically Satan was trying to get Eve to doubt the goodness of God. God's trying to keep something from you. To Job, he said, listen, if you let me touch him, I know I'll get him to curse you. He will not believe in your grace and in your... You see, that's what the whole, everything that we go through, every stress, every spirit that tries to attack us is to get us to forget that grace is followed by grace, by grace, by grace. Oh, I, you know, it's, you don't understand. I'm feeling so overwhelmed. I'm feeling, oh, but if I could just raise my hands in that moment and begin to say, Lord, wash me. Hit me again. Wash me again. Touch me again. You came to Calvary for the greatest gift that I could ever receive. I got the Holy Ghost. I want grace to follow grace to follow grace. I want His mercy to follow His grace. I want it all the time. When you don't, when you turn away from that and you look and you try to figure it out yourself, you try to figure out, well, I don't get it. I can work this one out myself. I can figure out what's best for me. And I understand when things happen, it's easy for it to happen. Job, he, Job, read, and I mentioned this Sunday, I think, Job, the first chapter in the 21st verse, 
And Job had the right attitude. He said, naked I came out of my mother's womb. Naked I'll return. God gave. The Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. But it wasn't too many days after being bombarded and hit with stuff and the realization of the loss of every, all of his money, the realization of the loss of all of his servants, realization that his wife comes and now his friends are telling him how wrong he's been and surely Job there's some secret sin surely Job something you've done something you've done what we find out from the very beginning was it wasn't anything he had done but the devil was trying to get him to doubt the goodness of God the question whether God was on his side and whether God loved him <clears throat> Finally, Job succumbed. Verse chapter 34. Out of his own mouth, Job said, It profits a man nothing that he should delight himself with God. There is no benefit to living for God. Living for God doesn't do one thing. He hadn't healed me. He hasn't touched me. He hasn't done anything. you believe it? This is the guy that started off. Naked came out of my mother's womb. The Lord gives, the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. But go through a week of that. He didn't talk for seven days. He was overwhelmed. Go through a month. Sit on ashes. Pull skin worms out of your body. Before long, the enemy starts trying to Work on your mind. Huh? And if you, your friends aren't praying grace for you, <laughs> and they're telling you how wrong you're doing, and if your own wife comes in and says, man, this is ridiculous. Get it over with. Let me leave the loaded 38 by your bed. Forget it. Curse God. Job didn't curse God but he, he, got, he got discouraged. Huh? He didn't curse him. But boy, he was feeling it. He said, well, I've never been there. Well, praise the Lord. I hope I know you never get there. But you can remember grace follows grace. When the Lord finally speaks to Job, and he does, 41st chapter, 11th verse, he says, who hath prevented me that I should repay him? In other words, who can tell me what to do as God? And whosoever is under the whole, whatsoever is under the whole heaven is mine. I can do what I want with what I want, when I want and how I want. I'm sovereign. That's what the master said to those guys that came and said, Lord, it's not fair that they would get a whole day's wage and they only worked an hour. And what did the master say? I can pay what I want to pay. And I understand. I, I mean, you know, can you imagine? Put it in a human thing, you know. You go to class, you study, you read the material, you do all the papers, you take all the tests, you show up, you get an A. 
There's kids in the class that don't show up and don't do the papers, don't come to class, and they get an A. How are you going to feel? Man, that was, how stupid was I? Huh? I was stupid. I, I shouldn't have done all that work. Right? <laughs> I have all the knowledge of the class. I got something that they didn't get. Those that skipped class didn't get the understanding. Huh? I don't think of it in terms of that. It's just it's not fair. We have a great sense of what's fair in life, don't we? But you know what? The Lord is good all the time, and He knows it all. And, ha and what a... Oh, I don't understand. I don't understand, preacher, why I'm going through, why this is happening to me. The Lord said, who, who can tell me what to pay? You, you can't tell me what to pay. <clears throat> Go on. The, the centurion, you remember, whenever the children of Israel came <clears throat> to Jesus and they began to talk about the centurion, you read it in Luke, the seventh chapter, and verses one through five. And, and he goes to the Capernaum, go, go ahead. And he said, they've got this centurion Lord and his servant who's very dear to him is sick and he's ready to die. And they said, listen, would you please go and treat this man's servant? And look what they said, verse four. He's a good man and, and he is worthy. He is worthy for you to do this. He is a good guy. I know he is a Gentile, but he loves us and he comes to the synagogue and he's built us a church and he is a good guy and he deserves this. And we all have a tendency to operate that way. They deserve a miracle. This one deserves a miracle. They've lived for you. This one, I want to tell you something. We, none of us deserve what we got. Amen. None of us deserve a miracle. The fact that we got the Holy Ghost, the fact that I was buried in his name, what a miracle that is. The grace that comes followed by grace. You remember, they, they preach that the centurion deserves it. And they're walking Jesus to go pray for the centurion's servant. And when the centurion hears that Jesus is coming, what does the centurion do? You remember? Verse 6. When he got not far from the house, the centurion sent those friends back and said, Look, no, wait, go tell them. I don't deserve anything. I'm not even worthy that you should come into my house. I don't do. They were the ones, the Jews were the ones that saying, oh, he deserves it, Lord. Go, he deserves it. Jesus, go. But then he said, I'm a man under authority. I, I can speak a word. And they, you remember, you read it all the rest of those verses. And what did Jesus say to the, the Jews that were there? I have never seen greater faith. Why? Because he wasn't putting it on anything that he did. It was all on what God has done. 
What do you want to say? I want to have great faith. Then you're going to have to say, Lord, it's not about what I'm doing, but it's about I can't obligate God. And when you, when you realize that, then what that does is it gives you a sense of godly contentment, if you will. It's like, I am, you know, why do you live for God? Why are you reading the Bible? Why are you doing, why are you going to church? Because I love the Lord. Because I want to get something from God. I'm not made to, I, nobody's making me do this. Nobody makes me pray. Nobody makes, oh, I understand, oh. No, I'm doing it because His grace, because the love of Christ, one verse says, constrains us. It, it's the one that holds us. Oh, I want to tell you something. When you read it in Romans, the 12th chapter, he says, you know, therefore, brethren, present your bodies a living sacrifice holy. Why? Because of what God has done for me. How can I not? If you don't love God, and I put the last line there, and, and I, I put it on your paper in, in Deuteronomy, the 8th chapter, we'll read that verse, and then we'll will stand come I appreciate you being here there's some more verses I want you to read but blessings come through our labors sometimes without our labors but never because of our labors he said when never the Lord told them the children of Israel when you get to when you get to where you're going you're, you're going to say my power and the might of my hand have gotten me this wealth and he said you will not you need to remember the Lord for it's he that gives you power to get wealth and it's he that may establish his covenant but he swear unto his fathers to this day what are you saying I'm saying Christmas time is a great time to remember oh yeah we get presents but there was a present that was the greatest present that the Lord could ever do whenever he came and went to Calvary. Oh, so that I could have grace after grace every day. Oh, it didn't matter what I'm going through. It doesn't matter where I am. It's not because of how good I am. It's not because of how awesome I am. It's not because of what I've done that's right. But it's because of his grace and his mercy that I am where I am. I don't deserve a penny. I don't deserve eternal life. Well, you worked all day. I've tried to live for God all my life. I've tried to... I know. I've been there. And it's easy to look around and say, well, I don't, I don't get it, Lord. How come they? And how come this one? You know what? Amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. But if you don't ever, if you think that you're a self-made man or you're a self-made woman or you can do it on your own, then you don't have a way to come and honor God. That's why, that's why we worship God. That's why we come and rejoice. That's why we come raise our hands. That's why I come and give. That's why I'm doing all this. Not because I'm so awesome, but because He is so awesome. Because He is so wonderful. Because of what He's done for me. He's done so much for me. I cannot tell it all. I cannot, I can't, I'm sorry. He's done so much for me. Oh, yes, I want him to heal my body. Oh, yes, I want him to give me a new job. Oh, yes, I want a new car. Oh, yes, I want, but you know what? I'm here to say he's done so much for me. He's blessed me so much. How that the greatest gift I could never outgive God. And this year, 
Christmas comes, we got to say, Lord, how privileged. What a blessing it is to be able to know you. And I know you're here on a Wednesday night. Nobody made you. Nobody demanded you to come. I get it. <clears throat> but that's what grace, it's, it's doing it because of grace. Grace followed by grace, followed by grace, followed by grace. Let's stand. Hallelujah. In fact, let's come. We'll just stand and remember. It's so easy in this hour to say it's not fair. I wish this wouldn't have happened. I wish that wouldn't. I don't like this. I don't like the way my life has turned. I don't like what's going on. I don't like what's happened. I don't think it's right. Lord, you know. But the parable is, I'll pay who I want, what I want, when I want. Your job is just to love me. Thank me for your grace. Oh, but God, you don't understand how tough I know. The greatest, because of understanding that love. In fact, that's what, that's what Paul said. There's something about that love that makes me realize I can be content where I am. Not that I don't want more. Sure, I want more. I want this. But you know what? You've been so good to me, Lord. Been so good to me. Let's just love him. Thank him for his word. Lord, you've been so kind to us. Been so good to us, Jesus. Out of Touch. 